But the more the more that you focus on helping before pitching, and the more that you focus on serving before selling, the more friends you will make. My name is Jake Thompson, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and this is the Compete Everyday Podcast, a show designed to encourage and equip you with the tools to build a winning mindset so you can build your winning life. Text PODCAST to 972-945-9113 to join our Morning Motivation Club and visit CompeteEveryday.com for past podcast episodes and to learn more about our resources and gear for ambitious people who are ready to start winning. Welcome to the show. Sales isn't a dirty word, and it's not as hard as you think it is. That's what we're getting into today with my friend, David Newman of Do It Marketing. Do It Speaking and Do It Selling as we talk about his newest book, Do It Selling, and why it's a guide for, well, any one of us, because let's be honest, life is all about sales. And for a lot of us, we're making it a lot harder than we need to. So David's going to join the show. I had the opportunity to get on David's podcast, the sales podcast, and talk with him about the competitive mindset and reframing our approach approach to sales and relationships. And David reciprocates today as we talk about a little bit of that as well. It's what a wild story of his career. Imagine starting your business and going three-fourths of a year between getting paychecks and getting clients. But that's what David did and now has built a multiple six-figure agency and coaching and consulting practice. And we're gonna talk today about how he did that, what mindset shifts he made, and how he was able to effectively grow by leveraging the power of sales, something that each and every one of us can use. As we dive into today's show, I wanna encourage you to join the Morning Motivation Club. All you gotta do is text PODCAST to 972-945-9113. That's podcast to 972-945-9113. And you'll get a morning motivating, encouraging, sometimes, I don't know, a little kick in the butt text to help you start the day, show up and compete. We don't waste days here. We don't take days off from getting better. So I wanna help you start every day a little bit stronger by joining the Morning Motivation Club and you'll get that text from me. Now, let's get into today's show with my friend, David Newman. Jake, fantastic to be here, and I love what you've done with the place. <laughs> Probably a similar look to when I was on your show, similar background, maybe uh, a new addition with my, my TCU helmet added in the background, but uh, good to see you. Congratulations on the newest book release. I know that's an exciting time right now. Yes, thank you. What what number is this for you? This is book number three. So the my first book was called Do It Marketing. Our company's called Do It Marketing also. Uh, you and I talked about that brand congruence that you're so brilliant yep. at. And so I figured, ah, company names, Do It Marketing. Let's call the book Do It Marketing. And then I came out with another book on speaking called, yes, guess what? Do It Speaking. This is the third book in that series called Do It Selling. 
Love it. Love it. Okay. So we're going to talk about the newest book. We're going to talk about some of the things you've talked about in some LinkedIn articles and a few others that I absolutely love, but I want to flashback. Let's give everyone a little bit of context. You've got your own consulting team. Uh, you do a ton of work with coaches, consultants all over the world, but uh, didn't always start this way. And we had a chance over breakfast earlier this year to discuss. And so I'd love to flash back uh, to when you were just getting going in your working career, what did you think you were going to do throughout your career? And then where did that road start to take you to this point? Yeah, so uh, I'll try and go through this quickly because it's quite quite a crazy journey. I started out college thinking I was going to be pre-med, failed out of chemistry, physics, and calculus all in the same semester, so not going to be a doctor. <laughs> then just for the revenue generating potential, I changed my major to English and drama. Can you imagine? Oh, very I know. lucrative it's like, career oh, ahead of Big you. money, big money there. English majors, we all know that. And went to graduate school in New York City for theater. So I actually have an MFA in stage directing. Did professional theater for four years in New York City. Really tough to make a living at that. So I did some part-time teaching at my graduate school. A friend of mine says, hey, David, you seem to be pretty good at that teaching stuff. You can do that for companies, and that's called corporate training. You should try that. So in 1992, I got my first corporate training job, and that was in technology training and technology consulting. Then I moved to an HR consulting firm, Towers Perrin, here in Philadelphia, and I ended up, my third job in that sequence was working for PeopleSoft, again, back in technology before they were bought by Oracle. And uh, I got kind of burned out on the whole corporate thing. So at the end of 2001, I decided to go out on my own. And I said to myself, I know how to coach. I know how to speak. I know how to train. How hard can this be? And Jake, I found out how hard it can be because as an entrepreneur, as you well know, it's not about doing the work. It's about getting the work. It's about selling the work. So started out first day of business, 2002. Got my first check. I was doing some time management training. I, I knew nothing about time management. I was a total generalist, jack of all trades, master of none. If you think of the speaking, coaching, consulting industry, I literally made every mistake in the book. No niche, no target market, no marketing skills, no sales skills, no nothing. But I made $1,200 in January of 2002. It was nine months until I saw another check literally nine months. I had no idea about prospecting, no idea about selling, no idea about pricing, no idea about closing. It was literally school of hard knocks. So, okay, so, so that was the beginning. That was right the, the ugly beginning. Okay. So I got to go to two pieces of this. So the first, when you got that first corporate consulting job, you know, you'd been around theater, you've been working, you're like, Hey, you can do this for companies. What was, was there a transition period? Was it just kind of the unconscious, you know, level of confidence of like, I don't know what I don't know, but I can teach and let's go. Or how did you specifically get into that technology side with the corporate? Well, so there's a funny story about my first corporate job interview. And remember, this was 1992. So this was not the culture that we have today. So I knew about teaching. I knew about speaking. I knew about presenting all of that stuff. 
tech and I always loved technology. So I was like one of the early computer geeks. I had my Gateway 2000 IBM PC compatible that I bought in 1991. Before that, I had my Atari, my Commodore 64, all of the old school tech. And uh, I go in for this job interview and they, they ask about my college and university teaching. And yes, great. They ask about my technology background. One question that almost, almost did not get me the job. They said, well, you know, we do a lot of peer review. So we will observe you teaching, you know, three, four times a year. We will send a fellow instructor to observe you teaching a class and you will get feedback. How do you feel about getting feedback on your, on your instructing? Jake, I swear to God, here's what I said. And I don't know where, I, I was totally unprepared for this question. So I said, well, you know, it's funny. I feel teaching is a lot like sex. Everybody thinks they're doing it right until someone else is watching. And how did they respond to that? Well, <laughs> so this was, this was two middle-aged women that were doing this interview with me. Like time froze, time just stopped. <laughs> and I was like, oh, these people don't have the same sense of humor that I do. Because I thought it was funny. And even in 1992, my friends, not funny, not cool. Don't say that in a job interview. So this was June. I don't get the job offer until August. I get the job offer. And one of the women, one of the hiring managers, whose name is Sandy, my first day, Sandy calls me into her office. She says, David, you interviewed here in June. We extended the, the offer to you in August. Do you know why we waited the two months? And I was like, no, Sandy, why, why did you wait the two months? Do you remember what you said in the interview? I said, no. She said, when we asked you about how do you feel about feedback, you said, uh, you know, teaching is a lot like sex. Everyone thinks they're doing it right until there's someone else to observe. And I said, yeah. She goes, you can't ever say things like that in a work environment. And again, this is 1992, friends. This is way before politically correct, woke, call it what you want. This was just plain old fashioned stupid. This was like five flavors of stupid. And so I feel like I that's to, a George Costanza moment. Totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What, a, what an idiot. What an idiot. So I had the skills. I did not have the corporate come from yet. And I learned the corporate come from and what you can say and what you can't say. And I, I had my comeuppance. I, I now started to act like an adult in the workplace. So that that was a big plus. Okay, so let's flash back to kind of where we were. You got your first paycheck, $1,200 January. It was nine months before you got another one. Yes. Walk through that period because most people aren't waiting nine months before they're jumping ship. And so I'm curious what made you hold on and what you were doing in that time that eventually positioned you to get that next paycheck nine months later. Yes. So not only do most people not hold on, most spouses don't hold on. Most parents say, so son, you're in your late thirties and it looks like you're not making any money. Don't you think it's time to go back and get a job? Don't you think it's time to go back to court? I mean, I had six figure paycheck stock options. This was the late 1990s, right? Six figure paycheck stock options, health benefits, uh, bonuses, bonuses, what? And I hung all that up and I said, let me be an entrepreneur and I'll make $1,200 a year. 
So what was I doing? What was I thinking? Uh, I was totally allergic to any kind of marketing and sales. So there was no outreach activity. There was no, I figured, hey, I'm really great at what I do. Build a better mousetrap. They'll come to your door. I was on LinkedIn. I was early on LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn was around in 2002, 2003. And so I was like blogging. I was collecting a little email list. I was sending some emails. I had some lead magnets. Uh, I kind of drank the internet marketing Kool-Aid. I think that's what I was doing, but it wasn't ringing the cash register. So were my days full? Was I sitting around eating bonbons? No, I wasn't sitting around eating bonbons. I was doing all the wrong activities or I was doing marketing activities thinking they would lead to a sales result. And my wife and I had some pretty difficult conversations like, hey, honey, when do you think you'll bring some money into the household? Because I was the primary breadwinner. Luckily, she had a teaching job at a private school. So she had the insurance coverage. You know, she was able to cover our basic bills because back in those days, all we could do is cover our basic bills because she had her salary and I had zero. So I was just a freeloading goofball. Believe it or not, it took a little bit of therapy. I, I went to a therapist and I said, you know, I'm not used to being not successful. And this is just weird. And it's screwing with my identity. And I'm getting weird about money. And I'm having all this kind of scarcity thinking. And I'm not doing myself any favors. And the therapist said something really profound to me, which I think comes from the world of high performance and sports and so forth. Um, if you want to be, if you wanted to go back and get a job, David, you'd be a fantastic employee. You'd be a fantastic leader and corporate America needs more people like you. If you want to remain an entrepreneur, then the entrepreneurial America also needs you and you'll be a fabulous entrepreneur and you'll do an amazing job and have a fantastic impact on the people that you're working with. So the path doesn't really matter. The path doesn't really matter. You know what your job really is? I will never forget these words. You know what your job really is? Your job is to take care of your family. And you could hear the record scratching across the vinyl there, Jake. It was like, what did you say? Your job, your primary job is whether it's as an employee, whether it's as an entrepreneur, by hook or by crook, you got to take care of your family. You are an adult person. This is no longer playtime. This is no longer hobby time. Your, your job, whatever you consider your job, your job is to take care of your family. That was the harsh slap of truth that I needed to hear. And I got really busy studying marketing and sales and business development and prospecting and all of these things that I now have mastered, luckily, thank God, uh, you know, I was the sl slow kid on the bus for sure. But by 2008, we had a six figure business. By 2010 or 11, we had a multi six figure business. Uh, we hit the half million dollar mark around 2013, 2014, hit the seven figure mark in 2017, hit the multi seven figure mark in 2020. So it was it, at that point, it was kind of this hockey stick progression right? 100K to 300K to 500K to 900K to 1.1 million, 1.9 million, 2.2 million, whatever it is. So getting serious about what I was resisting and really taking to heart, my number one job is to take care of my family. Now, eventually, of course, I hired a team and they all came one at a time, but there's 12 of them now. 
now it's like, okay, you got to take care of that family. You got to take care of those 12 people that are on your team and take care of yourself and take care of your family. So it was a progression of increasing awareness of my personal responsibility. And then that became my professional responsibility. And also you don't want to hire a marketing coach or a sales coach who's broke. So I didn't, I didn't land on marketing and sales until people started coming to me and going, oh, David, can you teach me what you're doing? And at first I said, no, <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, I'm going to go back to my big corporate clients because I had these big corporate training contracts with IBM and Microsoft and Merrill Lynch and PNC Bank. And I said, entrepreneurs are broke. What are you talking about? That's crazy talk. I'm not going to do that. And then finally, one of my friends who's a career coach, he prevailed upon me. He said, you're really, really, really good at this. And you can have a lot more impact working with coaches, consultants, trainers, and speakers than you can you know, working with the IBMs and the Merrill Lynch's of the world. And uh, I listened to him and I had one, one specific episode where I was in a corporate training class. They had paid me $10,000 and I was in there with a bunch of prisoners. They had their arms crossed. They had scowls on their faces. And Jake, it was like a thundering flash from above. I got this like this memo, like literally going through my brain in bright lights. Hey, dude, you're in the wrong room. You're in the wrong room with the wrong people for the wrong reason. These are not your people. They don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. What the hell are you doing here? Go back to working with the entrepreneurs. Go back to working with the consultants and the coaches and the trainers and the, the solo experts. And literally that day, I dialed back my corporate work and I started to build the foundation for the business that we have today, which is all about working with consultants and consulting firms and professional experts. So I want to ask you, because you talked about kind of that growth, that 100 to 300 and, and those jumps up, up the way. What happens to a lot of people, and, and I know some of our listeners who are building their own business, especially when they're that solopreneur initially, is as they're making those jumps, each new level obviously requires a little bit more of us, a, a different version, but it also, we start hitting points where we've got to start bringing in people. For a lot of solopreneurs, business owners, startup, like delegating and getting things off of your plate do not happen uh, or do very poorly. And I'm curious from your perspective, because your number one priority was providing for your family. And a lot of times we start businesses and opportunities to provide for our family and it takes us away from them even more so. And we don't yes. spend time with them. So yeah. as you were growing this, how did you balance that to make sure that you weren't completely out of the family picture while providing for them? And at the same time, do uh, yourself, I would say, a service of identifying when and where do I need to start bringing in help? Yes. Well, this is the beauty of having mastermind friends and colleagues and a really smart virtual board of advisors around you. So I was on a call one day with uh, another coach, another, another expert, and we were talking about doing a webinar swap that, hey, I'll do a webinar for your audience, you do a webinar for my audience, and we'll cross promote, et cetera. And I said, well, just send me the landing page copy, send me the, you know, what, what you want to send out, and I'll, I'll take care of it. This is like 2014. And she says, uh, hang on, what do you mean you'll take care of it? I said, I'll post it, I'll put it up on the website. She goes, you're not serious that you're not doing that yourself, are you? I said, well, sure. 
She says, no, 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 dude. I have a virtual assistant. You need to get a virtual assistant immediately, like immediately. You shouldn't be touching that stuff. So you're the one futzing with the website. You're the one building the landing pages. You're the one setting up the emails. You're the one that's sending out the confirmation. She says, tell you what, my VA has some extra bandwidth. I want you to, I want you to meet her. I want you to interview her. I want you to talk to her. She runs my entire company. I don't do any of this stuff anymore. I don't touch any of this stuff, she says. I was like, oh my God, that would be so great. This literally, Jake, never occurred to me. Like never. I was like, oh yeah, I'm a one-man band, right? I'm chief cook, bottle washer, candlestick maker. I make the donuts. I serve the donuts. I do the dishes. I take out the trash. I do everything. Uh, and so that was the amazing Sam, who's still on our team today. So whatever that is, nine years later. And she's now our operations manager because she was never really a VA. She's kind of a super VA. And then she's, you know, became our operations person and now runs the entire empire, all the technology, all the platforms, all the everything. And uh, if it wasn't for that conversation, if it wasn't for that friend that said, what the heck are you doing? Seriously, you're doing this yourself? So that was hire number one. By the way, the moment, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs listening, if, you're, if you've gone that journey from solo to company, whether your company is five people, 50 people, 100 people, 1,000 people, the first hire is the hardest. Like going from zero to one, it's like, oh no, no one can do it as well as me. Wrong, wrong. There's people out there that do it way better than you and you shouldn't way be better. doing that nonsense anyway. Going from one to two and two to three and three to five and five to seven and seven to 10 and 10 to 12, that became easy. So now we have coaches, we have um, client concierge, we have program manager, I've got an amazing COO, an incredible director of training, five incredible coaches that deliver our material, uh, all of that. And so, so the freedom and the scale, I wish I had drunk that Kool-Aid sooner, what, what you're talking about. But if it wasn't for that pivotal conversation with a friend, and she's still a friend to this day, I would not have hired person number one. And I would probably be sitting there kind of still stuck at that initial revenue plateau where, you know, solo person can probably bring in two, 300K without getting stressed out, 500K with getting stressed out. And then you're done. I mean, you're out of time, you're out of energy, you're out of everything. And like you said, Jake, you never see your family. So that's not what I signed up for. And that luckily, that's not what I had to do. Love it. Love it. Okay. So flash forward to today, you just released the new book on do it selling. And for a lot of our people listening, we've got a lot of people in sales. A lot of my listeners are sales managers, sales leaders, uh, executives of sales organizations, but we have a lot of solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, people side hustling, people in other industries that they have a small business or a side hustle that they want to grow and sales is a little icky. And they have that stereotype that we all, a lot of us do come in into sales. Probably similar to you at the beginning, you were doing a ton of marketing activity that wasn't all about sales and building the business. Right. And so on your end, Talk to me about the importance of the the Do It Sales book because you started with Do It Marketing. You have the Do It Speaking, and and now why this next book and the progression, and how I would say have you used it as an opportunity to reframe conversations around sales? 
Fantastic question. So the Do It Marketing book that came out in 2013, if you look back on that, if I look back on that, about 30% of that book is actually about sales. There's actually a whole section in that book that's titled The S Word, because people really don't like sales. Generally, entrepreneurs did not start their business to become professional salespeople. They started the business because they love the work of the work. And then they realize, oh, yeah, ew, there's this sales part that I have to learn and the sales part that I have to do. So the S word, I figured, why write a marketing book that will take someone to the front door, help them knock? And when the door opens, it's like, well, I'm leaving you on your own. Good luck. So I felt compelled to put about 30% of that marketing book is actually about sales. The Do It Speaking book is really about not, it's not about presentation skills. It's about using speaking as a one-to-many marketing tool and a one-to-many sales platform. So speaking as a lead generator, speaking for visibility, credibility, and connecting with multiple prospects at once whether you get paid to speak or whether you get paid because you spoke, because there's clients in that audience, yep. that's what the Do It Speaking book was about. And again, about 30% sales content in the Do It Speaking book. And then finally, it occurred to me that most of my clients, almost all of my clients that come to us, they think they have a marketing problem. But when we dig into it a little bit further, it's like, no, not a marketing problem. It's a sales problem. <laughs> So most of our mentoring, most of our coaching for the last three to four years has been around sales and selling. So codifying that, organizing that, distilling that into book form just made a ton of sense. And, uh, you know, sales is one of those evergreen topics. And it's funny, I did write it for the audience that you mentioned, Jake. I totally wrote it for the independent professional, the solo consultant, coach, trainer, speaker, professional services firm. But I'll tell you, I've gotten feedback since the book is now out in the public and anyone can buy it. Uh, I've gotten feedback from like a 250, the CEO of a $250 million manufacturing company. And he writes me a note, goes, David, I love your sales book. I'm buying it for my whole team. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I didn't write this for you. He says, this is what our people need to do. This is the, these are the skills that they're missing. So I'm telling you just from readers, readers are giving me the feedback that this is applicable to professional salespeople and sales leaders and people in much larger organizations than the ones that I wrote it for. So that makes me happy that it's having a bigger impact. But I still think the sweet spot is going to be that small to medium size, you know, professional services firm, the folks that love doing the work, but really don't like selling the work and, and how to get over yeah. that and how to make sales easy, effortless, enjoyable, and dare I say, fun. Okay, so I, I want to ping on one of those words you just said, easy, because when we first got connected through Carrie Wilkerson, who's, who's been on the show and, and friend of both of us, uh, the first article I think I saw on LinkedIn of yours is sales is not hard. Yeah, You just mentioned easy. There's a lot of people listening. They're like, no, that's not right. If it was easy, I'd be batting a hundred. Like I would be a hundred percent here. That that's in my head, that's easy, but that's not the case. And that's not how you look at it. So talk to me about what you mean when you say sales can be easier, can be sure. easy. It's, it's not hard. Yeah. 
Well, so think about think about naturally gifted athletes, right? Someone says, oh, playing basketball, it's in my blood. I grew up and I've always wanted to be in the NBA and you know, basketball is easy. You still lose games. You still lose games. You still miss baskets, et cetera. Uh, but, but overall, is it easy? Is it something that you look forward to? Yes, of course. So one of the sound bites from the Do It Selling book that I think is really, really profound is my readers tell me it's we did a whole beta reading thing so people marked it up and this one was like lit up in neon that's why i say you know people feel that it's profound here it is sales is a little bit harder than it looks but it's way easier than you've been making it so people tend to overcomplicate overanalyze overparalyze themselves when it comes to sales and selling especially the early part. So Jake, I think the part that people really dread is the prospecting, right? The prospecting, the door opening campaigns. How do I get in? What do I say in the first 10 seconds? How do I win attention? The world is so noisy. Email inboxes are full of spam. LinkedIn is full of all the, the connect and spam people. Hi, I'd like to connect. And the immediate next thing is, hi, I'd like to sell you my stuff. And it's That's like, right. oh, I haven't God. read anything on your profile. Know nothing about you. But here, let me do this. Let me let me pitch you something just for fun, because maybe you're one of the thousand people that are going to buy from me, like literally one one out of a thousand hit rate. So I think the reason people dread sales and maybe the reason they dread prospecting is bad sales training, bad sales people and bad sales experiences as a prospect. So we don't like the old school sales techniques when they're done on us. And we think because of the sales training that's been sort of out there since the 1980s and the 1990s, the only way to sell is to be pushy, yucky, spammy, aggressive, and weird. And professional services selling, really all selling, but professional services selling is really about an invitation to a conversation. And usually people are not afraid of invitations. Usually on the other end of invitations is something good, a party, cake, bourbon, barbecue, something good. And no one's afraid of a conversation. So typically when we have a conversation at a cocktail party, for example, we get to meet new people. We get to figure out, you know, what are their interests? What are their passions? What are they all about? You get to share a little bit about what, who you are. You might make a new friend. You might meet a, a referral source, an introducer, a strategic partner, someone who's going to promote you, someone's going to help you formally, informally, non-commercial relationship, commercial relationship. So generally, people are not afraid of conversations either. If we simply reframe the initial outreach to your target market as an invitation to a conversation suddenly all the pressure goes away. All the pressure goes away from us. And then also when you treat people like humans and a lot of the do it selling book is about humanizing your sales and your selling approach. When they feel that they're being treated like a genuine human being, their shields go down, their defenses go down. And they're much more open to that invitation to a conversation. And whether that ends up in business or a friendship or a referral or an introduction, or maybe they buy now, maybe they buy six months from now, maybe they buy three years from now, maybe it just becomes you know, something that is not of a commercial nature at all. But the more, the more that you focus on helping before pitching 
And the more that you focus on serving before selling, the more friends you will make. And uh, the great Jeffrey Gittimer, the king of sales, you know, legendary sales trainer, uh, one of his favorite sound bites is you don't need more prospects, you need more friends. And, uh, you know, people that develop friendships, some of those friendships will and can be commercialized. And those folks become clients and customers. Some don't. So again, to quote Jeffrey, you don't need more prospects, you need more friends. Absolutely. And and that that reframe of how are you going into the conversation? It's like even the first call, I was talking to some people, teaching some people recently is like, when you pick up the phone, if all the pressure is on you to make a sale and your whole worth is tied up in whether they say yes or no on a first call, you've already lost. But if you pick up the phone and start to treat it like a first date and just say, how can I get to know you? How can I get to know more about your problems? Maybe there's an opportunity, maybe not. It changes how you show up because you've removed the pressure of, I've got to close a sale on this call to, I actually just want to learn because maybe I'm not a fit. And it changes the whole dynamic. As you said, it becomes a very different approach into that relationship and opportunity to serve versus that hardcore sale. And I think that's where I love having conversations with you. I love some of our mutual friends out in the space where they're they're changing that old school training style that was the pushy, that was the aggressive, that was like, you got to dip your hands in grease before you shake hands with people because it's like, you got to be a little slimy. Whereas now that's not really how it is. And I think today's world, especially social media, everything else, there's ways to build trust and relationships leading into some of those conversations too, if done the right way. Um, and so that's why I, I like and was curious about the order of the marketing, speaking and selling book, because I think there's a something there for everybody, especially as you said, those solopreneurs, those service consultants, those consulting agencies, there's an opportunity. So David, this has been a ton of fun, my friend. Where can listeners go to order a copy of their book uh, or all three of them? Yes. So the Do It Selling book, it's really easy. You go to doitselling.com and there's a link right there to buy it on Amazon. There's also a link to get all the bonuses and companion tools and training that go with the book. Uh, Our main website, of course, is Do It Marketing. And there's a couple of freebies there as well. So we have our Do It Marketing manifesto, which is at doitmarketing.com slash manifesto. And we have some free on-demand training also that's a combination of marketing and sales. That's at doitmarketing.com forward slash webinar. Love it. And then for any of our listeners that are consultants that are growing their businesses, uh, your Do It Marketing website is going to have all of the options and activities as well to learn more about y'all's coaching programs, masterclass, things like that, right? Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. And I would be remiss if I did not give a shout out to your podcast, The Selling Show, which I had the opportunity to get on. And it is a fantastic ride, I think is the best way to put it with the energy you bring to each and every episode. And so we'll be linking to that in the show notes as well as the book and your website. But David, man, this has been a ton of fun. I appreciate you making some time and coming on the show this week. Love it. And uh, thrilled to be here with you, Jake. You to man, you to man. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. To get in touch with the team, drop us an email to podcast at competeeveryday.com. And to find out more about our resources, content, and gear that will help you build that winning mindset so you better compete for your best life, visit competeeveryday.com.